All right, now we're going to see a video clip from The Office. And the kind of setting, the context is Michael has found out that there's a big surplus. And he's trying to decide what to do with it. Buy a new copier or buy new chairs. Go. Hey, David. <coughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm eating tiramisu. From the chocolate powder just went down my throat. I'm stopping now. Is this why you're calling me? No, 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 no. No. I'm calling. <coughs> sorry. Okay. <coughs> I'm calling because... Um, we have a stupid budget surplus, and people, everybody wants something different. You want me to weigh in on a minor budget issue? No, no, no. I want you to make the decision so I'm not the bad guy. Well, if I were you, I would just return the surplus and take the bonus. The what now? Branch managers who come in under budget get 15% of the savings. Like a tip? $645? I hate disappointing just one person. And I really hate disappointing everyone. But I love Burlington Coat Factory. If you go in there for $645, you are literally a king. Yeah, we have that going out Tuesday. Okay. Sure, no, I can, I'll double check that for you. All right, attention everyone. Let me call you right back, okay. I have made my decision. We do not need a new copier. We do not need new chairs. This copier is... ...working perfectly. That's the original. Pam, would you stand up for a sec? Hmm. See how relaxed I am? I like this chair. Offers good support. It is ergonomically correct. It's a good chair. I think we're spoiled because we don't appreciate the things that we have. You think kids in Africa have chairs? No. They sit in big piles of garbage. Do you think they have copiers? They don't have copiers. They don't even... They don't even have paper. And we are spoiled because we throw out perfectly good tiramisu because it has a little tiny hair on it. My point is this. I've seen the light in terms of what we need, and it is nothing. Do you know? Do I know what? I think you know. Mm, no. Know what? Yeah, know what? Does anyone happen to know what 50% of 4300 is? $645. Michael's a genius. Right. Why did you say dollars? Because that is how my mind works. What's 15% of 200 Thank you. Everyone... Michael is returning the surplus so he can keep 15% as a bonus. Wait, what? You can do that? Hey, Michael, what's 394 times 5,912? Let's see. You're going to give yourself a bonus of $645 instead of getting the entire office something it really needs. I don't need $645. I already have $645, more or less. You're going to get us this a copy of that. Wow, Michael uh, has no idea in the world what to do with this surplus. And then when he finds out uh, that he can benefit from it himself, uh, his just basic personality takes over and he, and he goes to the races with that. Now, earlier, Michael, uh, and he alluded to this in this scene, uh, he was so fearful of disappointing one faction or the other. Get chairs that all the copier people will be upset. Get copier, all the chair people will be upset. 
And so he's so insecure he couldn't make a decision on that. And the root of insecurity is self-centeredness. Okay, we need to think about that. But the root of insecurity is a self-focus. And so it's really fitting that when he finds out he can get money to spend at the Burlington Coat Factory, that he would continue with that kind of self-focus and, and, and just go that direction. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks about God's provision in our lives and about how, how we can look at God as a God of abundance and as a God who wants to bless us with more and give us a surplus so that we can bless others. In fact, uh, the, the word uh, in Second in Corinthians says very clearly that as we get into this uh, cycle of spending wisely and managing our personal finances in such a way that we can give and that we place giving into part of the overall process of how we view our lives and how we view our personal finances, that when we get into that cycle, then God provides more for us, not so that we become uh, unimaginably wealthy, but so that we always have enough to give more. Because there's something about giving that strikes deep into the heart of the human being and, and just releases good things in us. You see, we are created in the image of God. Created in His image. And that means that whatever He is, we have that innately within us, that those character qualities. And it's when we tap in to the, the character of the image that God has created us, in His image... I, I need to be like God. I need to be loving like God is loving. I need to be kind like God is kind. And I need to be generous like God's generous. And when and, and, and that's such a tangible thing that I can do. It's just something that, that I can actually tangibly exercise the character of God by giving. When I do that, it, it sort of multiplies the effect of that in my heart and releases more and more of God's presence and God's joy and God's life within me. And, and it really is a part of our spiritual growth. That's why uh, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians that when we get into that, that, that kind of cycle of life, of, uh, of giving and making giving a real priority in life, so that it's not, I don't give the leftovers. You know, so often we think of t in terms of giving leftovers. Well, if I have anything left over, I'll give it. How many have leftovers? I mean, not a lot of people have leftovers, especially when we think that way. And it does, it's not really dependent upon how much money we make. It's more dependent upon our view and our attitude towards the resources that God's provided for us, towards the life that God's given us. And so when I begin to process this, and, and there are some biblical principles, one of them is lay aside, give first. Lay aside at the beginning of the week what you're going to give. And, and what, what, what Paul was saying when he wrote that was, don't wait till the end of the week and say, well, what, what, you know, how much extra do I have? I'll give that. Decide. It's part of my financial plan. It's part of my financial thinking. And, and overall, I'm going to decide what I'm going to give, and I do that first. So that when wh whatever rotation your pay comes on, if you get paid weekly, then that means you cash your check 
and you sit down and write out your offering check if you give by check or uh, or a lot of people give um, by setting up an automatic withdrawal from their bank account I mean you know we, we pay our electric bills that way and a lot of people today give that way and it just sets it up on a regularity and but, but it's first it's right off the top and what that says to me is I am putting God first I, I am putting God first in my life and I am trusting him to make up the difference. And if there's, if there's going to be anything left over at the end of the week, it's going to be because God's blessing my finances. Now, it's a mistake, and I don't want you to hear this. I don't want you to hear me say that if I just give, if you just give, that your, your whole financial scene will just turn around overnight. And that suddenly, you, you know, let's say that over the years I've amassed a lot of credit card debt. And, uh, and now, um, I, I don't want you to hear me saying, well, if you just start tithing, God will miraculously pay off all those credit cards. I don't want you to hear me say that because that's not a biblical uh, way of thinking. I do want you to hear me say that if we begin to think biblically about our resources and our finances, then you can set a plan in order to pay off those credit cards to not go into debt any longer and to begin giving at the same time. That all of that fits together. And so God calls us to a lifestyle that includes our relationship with money. And and rather than have that relationship with money mess our lives up through worry and fear and anxiety, through relational conflict, through discontent in my life because I look around and I see someone who has something more than I have or something that I wish I had. Rather than allow that to happen, what, uh, what the Bible calls us to is to submit it all to him. We, we just say, God, this is all yours. I am yours, God. I am yours. And everything I have is yours. And when I begin to think that way, and, and really what this, what this demands of us is a new way of thinking, demands a new way of thinking. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus talking uh, to the apostles in the boat because they were afraid they didn't have enough bread to eat. And, and Jesus reminds them of the multiplication of the bread and the loaves where he had uh, five loaves and just a couple of fish and he fed 5,000 people and had 12 baskets left over. And, and he was trying to tell them, you need to start thinking differently. You need to start perceiving possessions and provision in a different way. And that starts with me saying, it's all yours, God. I am yours and, it, and everything I have is yours. Lori and I have been watching uh, this series called Downton Abbey. Anybody seen that? Yeah, well, when Lori said, hey, I found this new series, it's about uh, these people in England 100 years ago, and they, um, you know, it's about them figuring out who their heirs are going to be and who the next Duke is going to be and all of that. I thought, boy, I don't want to watch this. You know, nobody's going to get killed. There's not going to be any intrigue, no mystery, nothing like that. But I love my wife. And so I sat down and watched the first episode with her, and it just sucked me right in. I just, I, we just finished it on, um, I think it was Amazon Prime, like five seasons. Can't wait for the new season to come out in January. But it's about this abbey. Downton Abbey is this uh, 
the palace in Great Britain, and it's owned by a duke and his family. And uh, it's, it's all about how they're maintaining it and how are they going to maintain it. And they go through World War I together and, and, and just all sorts of in really, really interesting stuff. But there's a butler in this home who takes charge of everything. He, he has a high degree of ownership of the welfare of the abbey. He wants to make sure that the building's taken care of, that the grounds are taken care of, that all the servants are uh, conducting themselves in the right way. He just takes this high degree of ownership of the whole thing, and yet he doesn't own any of it. It's put in his charge. It's put in his care. He's what the Bible would call a steward. He stewards this place. But, but he does it with passion because he cares for his duke, for the owner of the property. And so as a steward, he doesn't treat it like his own, but he protects it like his own. And then he treats it the way the duke would want him to. Now, you and I are stewards. That's what we are. It's all God's. Everything. I'm, my, I'm, my body's God's. My mind is God's. Anything that I can produce with my life is God's. It's all God's. Any money that comes into my life is God's. And when I begin to think that way, then it's an easier step for me to then begin to think, well, okay, what does God want me to do with this? How does he want me to live with this? And this is one of the reasons that we have a course here called Financial Peace University. Because Financial Peace teaches us, it, it doesn't just say give and be blessed. Giving is part of it. But it also teaches us how to get out of debt how to keep from misusing uh, credit cards, which so easily lead us into debt. It, it shows us how to handle money overall in, in, in the broad perspective. And uh, we'll be offering that again in the spring, which is something we encourage everyone to go through. But, but really, it comes down to the whole question of lordship. It all belongs to God. Now, some of the wrong beliefs about money today... Um, not, not only what Michael illustrated, that um, if I can just get this new thing, I'll be happy. If I can just have the money to go to this place I love to go to and buy that new thing, then I'll be happy. But beyond that, there's this wrong belief in our culture that, and I think this is in the Christian culture, not stated. I don't think we state this out loud. But I think we kind of, uh, kind of beneath the surface, there's this wrong belief that I can love God and still love money a little bit. Or I can love God 50% and I can love money 50%. There's this idea that I can have my life focused on accumulation. I can, I can have my heart focused on happiness if I get what I want and happiness if I had more. And, and we think, if I just had more, then I'd be secure. If I just had more, then I'd be happy. If I could just take this vacation instead of this vacation, then I would be fulfilled. And those types of things betray the notion that I can love God and money. Here's what Jesus said about that in uh, Luke 16. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, he clearly here he presents money as the chief rival for God's 
affections. He presents money as, as the thing that, that appeals to our hearts to replace God. And he says, you can't have two on the throne in your life, one or the other. And so we need to ask ourselves some questions. Well, how do I dethrone this Lord of money from my life? Because money is important. It is part of life. We, we want to handle it well. I mean, honestly, having more money is better than having less money, okay? It's not like there's a virtue in not having money. Uh, working hard, saving, spending wisely, those are all good biblical principles. Even enjoying what we get. We've, we've talked about this in the past, that God provides not only bread for us, for us to enjoy and eat. Well, no, he provides not only seed, which is money he wants us to sow back into his kingdom. Money he gives to us for us to pass on to others. He provides that, but he also provides bread, which is to meet our needs and for us to enjoy. He gives us both. But we need to begin to understand some of these things in order to put money in its rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. Now, in another place, Jesus talked about money and the heart, and he, and he kind of took a different angle on it. In, in Luke twelve thirty four. Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here he's talking about the human, the heart, the center, the, the place I love from, the place I'm devoted from, as it relates to uh, money. And he says, where your treasure, where your money is, there your heart will be also. And in this context, he's talking about people giving to advance the kingdom of God and it, it even says in this context that if you give, then there will be people waiting for you to welcome you into heaven because they're going to be there because you gave to advance the kingdom of God. They heard the gospel because of your sacrifice, of your giving. They got saved. And then somehow they preceded you to heaven and they're there waiting there for you. And so I, I need to ask myself the question, where is my treasure? Where is my treasure? And if my treasure is focused on accumulation and security through money and happiness through money, then that's where my heart's going to be. But if, if I take this thing that has so much power in our lives, money, and, and if I begin to order it according to God's order, spending wisely, working hard, saving, not spending more than I have, giving it right off the top, if I start to order my life according to some of God's principles, then my heart then gravitates towards the kingdom of God because I'm taking this thing which could control my life and I'm submitting it to God's kingdom. And so my heart then, I, I, I love God more. I fall in love more with God. And, um, and, and my heart just grows bigger and bigger towards him. Yeah, I talked last week about living boldly and uh, we can't live boldly if we're afraid, if we're fearful, if we have a ton of anxiety over uh, possessions and over money and over whether or not there'll be enough. The way we live boldly is when we do order our, our finances biblically, our financial household biblically. And then we are confident God's going to provide everything I need so I can do everything he calls me to do. And if he calls me to do something that is risky, I can do that with boldness and with confidence uh, because this thing that Jesus presents as the other main 
uh, Lord in, in this world, the other main thing that can grab my heart, I brought that into submission and I put God first. And so that gives me the ability then to live life boldly and with peace and with comfort and, and with real confidence. I think I said last week too that part of my desire was to help connect the dots um, for some of us between our personal finances and, um, and, and how we handle our money and giving to the church body that I'm a part of. And it, it, so, so many of us understand that and, and we give and so thankful for all of you who do. Just you, you give first, you make it a priority and you give substantially. And you, you, are, you are part of every life change that happens here. Every person's life, when we hear Zach's testimony up front and he says, a year ago I was addicted to heroin, today I'm free. You are part of that because you gave to advance the kingdom of God here. When we, when we hear testimonies like Shauna or uh, Carl up here giving his testimony about how his life has changed and, and how giving for him was a big part of that. If you heard his testimony a few weeks ago, Shauna shared her testimony of how she came here an atheist. And God broke through that through a prophetic word she had received and some Holy Spirit uh, prayer where the Holy Spirit touched her. And she said, well, yeah, God, you have to be alive if this can happen. And if you're alive, I want to follow you. If, if you're one of those here who gives on a regular basis, then you're part of that. You're part of that. And that's why we give. We give for life change. We give for every child back there in the nursery and in children's ministry and in the teen ministries that are hearing about Jesus, that are going to come to know Jesus, and they're going to avoid so many of the problems that uh, older people have faced. You're giving. You're part of that. When you give, you are part of that. But for those that haven't quite connected those dots yet, maybe you've been coming here for a while, and, um, and you just haven't really put it together that that this is your church family, that this place you love to come to and you love to be part of and, and you love the worship and you go away encouraged and your week is better. And I have people tell me all the time, I can't wait for the weekend. I can't wait for Sunday. I want to get here. I want to, I want to hear the message. I want to worship. And I think worship is su- such a blessing here that God's given us such good worship. It just lifts our hearts. But some of us haven't connected the dots between that, loving the place, and organizing my personal finances so that I have a plan as to how I am going to give to maintain the ministry and keep it going. And I think one of the things that uh, trips us up is the idea of institutional religion. And so many of us are used to um, uh, church systems where the, the churches are all connected denominationally and and there are huge palaces uh, out there somewhere and huge structures that were built by the whole group and the whole denomination. And there's this sense that somewhere behind this church that I go to, there's a lot of money out there somewhere that's supporting this thing. I mean, is that, it, there, there's kind of like this institutional thinking like that. And, you know, you know, in a church like this, we're, we're an independent church. And, and this is really how I think it ought to work. That it's not like me saying, well, I'm going to trust God. You know, I'm the pastor and I want you all to know I'm trusting God for the finances of the church. Um, yeah, that's good. I need to. 
But if that's if we leave it at that, then that leaves everyone else out of the picture. And the simple truth is, it's all, all of ours. It's ours. You, you know, I, I thought this, God could wake up a millionaire or a billionaire somewhere in the Middle East, you know, there, and, and speak to him and say, yeah, there's this church in Ohio, northwest side of Cincinnati. Send them a couple million dollars. Do that right away. As soon as you wake up tomorrow morning, do that. I mean, God could do that. It would still depend on whether or not that, that person would obey, but God could do that. And once in a while, there are big things like that that happen. But the normal process is God brought us here. He brought you here. We all know that when it comes to serving, we, we at least recognize that. God, God brought us here. He brought you here. You're part of this. This is our place. And so he brought you here to provide for the ministry here so that life change continues to happen. I don't know if I said this in this service or not last week, but um, sometimes people think, well, you know, I do think I said this in this service that, you know, I don't want to pay for lights and buildings and stuff like that. And, you know, in our culture today, buildings and uh, utility bills are just part of the deal. I mean, I, honestly, how many of us, at least last week, I had a couple people raise their hands, but today is cold. How many of us would be sitting out in the field right now? If, if I had said, hey, we're all going to gather today, this morning, we're going to sit there for an hour and a half, and uh, would you come? How many of us would, would really be excited about doing that? No sound system, okay? No sound system, no heat. No, we wouldn't. So, I mean, buildings are just part of it. It's just, it's, it's the family gathering place. It's like the living room. And yeah, we, so we give to support that too. It, it supports the overall ministry of life change that's happening all around us. And so um, for us to, to first recognize, I belong to God. Everything I am, everything I have is God's. And then for us to recognize, God has a design for how I relate to my possessions and my money. And I need to discover that design. And, and if, you, if you really want to start working on something right away, uh, get Financial Peace University, the book by Dave um, Ramsey, and just start reading it. And then plan on taking it next spring. And, but when I realize that, that I need to, I, I want to make the decision, I'm going to order my financial household according to God's principles and, and all, all that is involved in that. And then to take it a step further and to recognize that I'm part of this. You're part of this. And every time I give here, I am giving to support life change. The church is just a vehicle. We're, this is just a vehicle for the kingdom to break in and to touch and change people's lives. And when, when you think about that, our church has some unique features to it that... Um, that you don't see everywhere. Just a few things that, uh, I mean, think of this first. Within a 20-minute drive of this church, there are thousands, tens of thousands of people, thousands of marriages that are, that are headed towards disaster. Thousands. And we need to do something to reach them. We need to do something to help them. There are thousands of children growing up in homes where they're not hearing anything about Jesus, except as a cuss word. 
they're not they're not they're not hearing anything about a, a biblical lifestyle or how to live and when we need to do something to reach them we need to provide a place to reach them there are thousands of people out there who are addicted that need to be set free and we don't want to be intimidated by that do we why cuz we've got the message and we've got the power we know that we've got it we've got what we need We've got what we need for a person just to come into the atmosphere and just sit here and just soak in the atmosphere and meet some of the people, get loved on by some of the people and and hear some things about Jesus and go through the worship and have God just start to just to start to work in their heart, to to massage their heart and to bring them to a point where they, they open their heart to Jesus and they're set free. They're changed through the power of the gospel of Christ. Now, that's who we are, and that's why we are here. And, and to say that, there are a lot of good churches out there, a lot of good churches out there, but not a lot of churches like us, okay? Not a lot like us. Uh, just a few things I not wrote down. Uh, we're a church that values the Bible. We believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible revelation of God to mankind. But we also value modern-day, current, prophetic ministry. We value both. We value the Bible as the absolute clear Word of God, but also God speaks today, and God speaks to people's lives, and He gives us prophetic words today that just light our hearts up. We're unique in that respect. We move in the power of the Spirit, but we also are very aware of our need to be outwardly focused, we don't want to just get lost in our own excitement about the Holy Spirit and, and go, go to some weird place where any new person or unchurched person or uninitiated person who would come in would just say, I don't get that. I don't understand. No, we want to be alive with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and release worship and release his presence. But at the same time, we care about uh, those who are on the outside. We love to worship, but we care about the broken. And here, I like this one. We're a thinking church, but we speak in tongues. Okay, did you know that? That that's a value we have. We don't talk about it a lot. We don't, you know, from the front on Sunday morning or anything like that. But we're a thinking church and a tongue-speaking church. And those two things go hand in hand. And if you can't figure that out, then I encourage you to really pray and ask God to show you. But those two things go hand in hand. And so we're unique. And we have, we have a place here, uh, just, just simply what God's doing in the church's life is, uh, is unique and fresh. And something that is uh, really, really exciting to see. Hmm. Well, a couple other things. I did want to share with you um, that this year, as we look at the end of the year, we do have a slight gap between our giving and uh, what our anticipated spending is. Now, it's not overwhelming. It's not something that uh, we can't walk through because we've you know, tried to handle the finances wisely year after year, and I, and I think we have. But at the same time, it's uh, always nice to end the year where you can say, you know, the giving matched the spending. And, we're, you know, we cut spending and we're careful with spending. 
But uh, there's a slight gap. I know when we did the Freedom Project, I think we said we were our target was one month's income, which would be about eighty thousand dollars. And if you weren't here, if you didn't hear this yet, we gave over a hundred thousand dollars, which was just fantastic because we we just gave all of that money away just outside here. But uh, the right now the gap we're looking at could be anywhere from a quarter of a month to a half, somewhere in that range. We're just not sure yet. And the only thing I, the only reason I mention that to you is just in faithfulness to you to communicate because this is about all of us. It's not just me saying, oh, I'm going to trust God to, to take care of that. It's all of us saying, yeah, we're going to trust God with that. We're going to trust God with that. We're going to pray. We're going to let the Holy Spirit lead us and we're going to trust God and, uh, and move ahead. And it's even more than more than saying, well, yeah, let's close this gap. What I want to say is, let's look at next year. Let's look at next year. Let's think of what are the things God wants us to do? I mean, there's some powerful stuff happening here. And we've hired staff this year that, that God's provided for. And, and, um, and we've seen God work in, in real clear ways. And right now we're working on a, a project to get more of that, the stuff God's doing here in front of us. We have someone that's going to be doing a lot more videoing and, and, and getting the stories in front of us so we can all see what God's doing. But I, I want to think about next year. And I want to say we want to move ahead next year. We want to expand our ministry next year. And what that means is it takes money to pay staff. In a church this size, you don't expand without staff leading. And we have staff that need to have more hours and other positions that we probably ought to expand into and fill. So the gap right now, yeah, we're going to pray about that. We're going to trust God with that. But the bigger thing in my mind is next year and where we want to go and and how we want to see the Holy Spirit continue to move here. So be praying about that, would you? Just be praying and asking the Holy Spirit to lead us. We'll talk more about that in January. We'll take a service just to show um, you know where the budget's headed and and what we're doing, but um, there's a passage that was given to me recently that I want to read to you to end today because I think it's a very refreshing and renewing and restoring passage. And someone gave this to me in a prophetic word to help explain what um, what's happening. Oh, and by the way, um, as I said, so many of you give so well. And if someone would say, well, why is there a gap? Uh, you know, thinking about that, there's so many different reasons. Uh, it's not because we've been overspending. Don't, don't, it's not that. Um, we have in the last year or so lost families. We've had families here at the church who've been here for a while, uh, quite a while, who did understand the whole idea of ordering your finances and giving first. And uh, we've lost a few families that uh, were significant givers, and they've moved on to other churches in, and are serving in other places. You know, people that love Jesus, uh, good people, uh, for one reason or another. I know one family, the, the husband is involved in a major project at one of the large churches here in Cincinnati, and they moved to that church uh, partly because he wanted to be involved in that project. Others maybe came to a point that they... Um, didn't quite feel comfortable any longer, or they lost kind of like connection somehow. And I'm not sure always how that happens. You have to look back and say, well, leadership could help with that. And uh, you have to take some, you know, some credit for that for sure. 
But um, when that happens and people say, well, you know, I just don't feel connected anymore. And, you know, we're going to go to this other place and, and kind of do a, a, new, a restart. Uh, you know, we just bless that. God bless them. Man, bless them. These people are going out serving other places and they're going to bless other churches and just thankful for the time we've had with them. But that, that impacts our, our giving somewhat. And I want to say that to you because it's just honest. And, and, but, but I also want to say this. We're here. Okay, we're here. It's us. It's us. It's us. It's you. It's you as part of the church body here. And we're going to move this thing ahead as we trust God together. And, and as we seek the Holy Spirit's leading together, because there's so much powerful stuff that's happening and, and some changes that, that do feel unfamiliar to people or make people maybe feel a little bit less connected because there's shifting in atmospheres and, and overall feel in some respects. But here's the passage I want to go to. It's um, Luke 5, 37 to 39. What's happening here? Is this Pharisees are challenging Jesus because Jesus' apostles are not doing all the things the Pharisees think they ought to do. They're not fasting, they're not doing all the ceremonial washing, they're not they're not following all the traditions of the Pharisees. And these are all traditions that the Pharisees developed in order to kind of usher and and steward the work of God. And so here's what Jesus says to them. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out. And the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for the new, for he says the old is good enough. Now, uh, someone wrote this all down and had some other words that they put around it that was really powerful as, um, as something that they felt was a word God has for our church body. And then had that confirmed with some other staff. But um, Jesus is saying here, new wine doesn't go into old wineskins. Let me explain that. An old wineskin would be a wineskin that was fresh at one point. Uh, they would make wineskins out of little goats, you know, that tie the leg spots off, flip it inside out, they shave all the hair off, turn it inside out, tie off the legs and other uh, openings, and then use the neck to pour the wine in. And so new wine has to ferment. And so it expands. And so you put that into a new wineskin because that new wineskin's fresh and supple and soft and elastic and it will expand with the wine. But he says if you have a wineskin that's been used a couple times for that, it's old and it doesn't have any space left, no more elasticity to it. And so you fill it with new wine. When the wine expands, the wineskin itself can no longer contain that new wine and the wineskin breaks open. And Jesus says you lose that wineskin. So he's not saying that the old wineskins are no good or we, or we just toss them out. He's not saying that. But he is saying that new wine has to go into new wineskins. And this new wine that he's referring to is not new teaching. It's, it's the same teaching, but with a new presence of the Holy Spirit, a new presence of God coming in. 
a new fresh work of God. And when that new fresh work of God comes in, uh, what, he's, what he's telling us is we have to have minds that are able to flex with it. Elasticity of mind, one author said. We have to have elasticity of mind so that we can say, yeah, I want to receive everything that the Holy Spirit's doing and everything he wants to do in my life and through my life and everything he's doing in, in my church body. And so there's a power in this, but the threat is that the old wine's pretty good. In fact, old wine, when it hits the right age, I guess wine can get too old, but when it hits the right, right age, the old wine's better because it's aged. And you don't drink the brand new wine. You want the 1898 whatever. I don't know. But uh, the old wine really does taste better. And some of that is that's what I'm used to. But some of it is too that it's just it is better because it's seasoned. But the thing is, if there's no new wine, then there won't be any wine tomorrow. We get that? There always has to be new wine coming in. There always has to be new fresh work coming in, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit coming in, a fresh thing the Holy Spirit's doing in order for there to be wine uh, in, in the future. And so this is really a call to us to, um, to yeah, enjoy the old wine some, enjoy that, but also just in my heart and my mind to embrace and to say, God, it does look like you're doing something fresh and new here. The Holy Spirit is coming in a fresh new way, and I want to embrace that too. I want to open my heart up to that and just and just experience everything that you have uh, for me and for our church body through that. So that said, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to spend the rest of our time worshiping, which um, is where this always is, is supposed to head. The reason we do worship second is that we... We want to have our hearts prepared and kind of nurtured into worship so that things that we're wondering about or things that God's speaking to us about now during worship, we can just kind of like just focus on God and and just let God speak to us. And then we can sing back to him and express to him our our heart's intent and our our heart's uh, love for him. So let's join together and, and worship right now. You want to stand? And, you know, if, if you do uh, want to come down front and worship, a, that's a cool thing to do. There's something about the focus of it. There's something about the um, just the intensity of, uh, well, there's something about taking a risk, too, that, that really ramps up um, our openness to what God wants to do. But, Father, uh, we just want to thank you now for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, for your provision in each one of our lives. We just bless you for that. I thank you for every person here. And uh, just pray, Holy Spirit, come now. Just come now in the sweetness of your presence as we worship.